If you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to uh, Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27 is going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you'd throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hand so you can follow along. If you forgot your Bible, if you didn't bring a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, grab one of these, take it home as our gift to you, where you can follow along this morning in the book of Matthew, first book in the New Testament, chapter 27. As you're turning there, like I said, I want to welcome you. If it is your first time here at Harvest, I want to let you know something uh, that I love our church. I just love this church. I love Harvest. And, and, and here's what I love about our church, that Harvest isn't what I would call a normal church family. That's not meant to be a dig, although it does sound like it, doesn't it? You guys just aren't normal. Here's what I mean. I mean, there is such a mixed bag of people in our church. Or you have people from such a wide range of, of economic situations. You have, you have people that have a, a wide range of interests. You have people from various degrees and different places of, on the, the whole political spectrum. You have people here who, who, would, who would consider themselves dog people. Then you have people here who are, I don't understand them, but we welcome them as well, the cat people, right? And then you have people here who would be raised in a, in a great home with parents who loved each other and, and poured out love on them and they had what you just call almost this perfect way to grow up. And then we have people whose life story is full of brokenness and struggle and pain. We have people who would introduce themselves as, as being just successful people and we have other people who would say, man, if you knew who I was or you knew my life story, like, man, I shouldn't even be here. I love that about our church because you, you never know every Sunday, you're not even sure ever who's going to roll in on a Sunday morning. And so what would it be that would bring such a diverse group of people together? People from so many walks of life, what would bring us all together? I mean, if, if you ever ask me, you know, how would you grow a church? I really don't have a good answer to that. In fact, it was just this week that somebody called our offices. They were writing an article on churches in Muskoka for a Muskoka magazine. And they, they said, we want to talk to you guys at Harvest and ask you why your church is growing. And I remember getting on the phone and thinking, I don't know. I mean, if, if I were to ever to, to write a book about how to grow a church, I'm telling you, it'd be a very short book. There'd be two chapters, all right? Chapter number one, I have no idea what I'm doing, all right? Chapter number two, it's all about Jesus. I mean, that's it. Amen. I mean, it sounds so simple, but there's, there's no other answer. It, it actually sounds unbelievable that we would say that, that Jesus Christ is what brings us together. This person who lived in, in somewhat obscurity, who claimed to be God the Son, who, who then died a horrible death. All of his followers and closest friends deserted him. And, and it's this guy's death that we say brings us all together. I mean, how could that be? I mean, you, you can look at the deaths of, of founders of, of great religions around the world and you could kind of go, yeah, I get it. I get how in their death, you know, they would have died these peaceful deaths. They all died surrounded by followers that loved them. They, they all died in a peaceful way with heroic words. And you could say, I could see how a movement would come from that. But then you come to Christianity where Jesus dies as a very young man with such a, a short period of time where he actually did ministry. When, when he dies, he's alienated from his own people. He's put to death by an occupying nation of Rome. He's abandoned by most of his friends. And even if you read scripture, he's abandoned by God. I mean, even his death isn't really a normal death. It's a shameful death. 
It's, it's death by crucifixion. Crucifixion, something only used on the worst of criminals because, because what happened at crucifixion, you were stripped naked and you, you were nailed to a cross in front of everyone where you would die by inches. And day after day, they would watch you slowly die. I'll tell you, for, the, for this reason, this is why, why scholars would say that when we're reading through the gospel, that these have to be accurate eyewitness accounts because you would never make up this stuff. If you were looking to create a movement, you would never include this kind of stuff, these brutal facts. Because nobody would look at the cross and say, well, that's a blessed way to live my life. I think I want to follow that. I want to follow after that guy, Jesus. And in fact, the early church in spite of huge problems it caused for some people, they adopted the cross as the emblem, as this is the symbol of our faith. You have to understand in that time, the, the Latin word for cross, crux, which we get crucifixion from, which we get excruciating, we get that from that Latin word, crux. That word was a four-letter word. It was a curse word. It's a word you wouldn't say in polite conversation. And, and so imagine in that time from you're a first century person, you're inviting your friends to Easter and they go, hey, sure, I'll come to your church. Well, what's it called? You're like, well, if you could just um, put you know, earmuffs on your kids' ears for a second because um, it's a four-letter word. It's a, but that's what they're doing. This is who we follow. This is what we follow. The cross represented everything wrong. It symbolized shame, hostility. It represented weakness, defeat. It was this, this symbol of absolute, complete, total humiliation. So then why would Christ's followers, why would they grab something like this? Why wouldn't they say, let's grab something less offensive? Why would they grab a hold of the cross and say, no, this is it. This is what we live our lives for. This is the message for me. Because Jesus, all through his ministry, continued to point them to the cross as being, this is the plan of God from the beginning of time. All of scripture pointing, driving history to this one event, this one moment. This is what Easter is all about. In fact, I've got one point this morning, one point and that's it, and here's what it is. Our point this morning is, is that Jesus defeats the darkness to bring me into the light of his grace. Jesus defeats the darkness to bring me into the light of his grace. That's what the cross is about. That's why we celebrate. That's what brings us together as the family of God. In fact, if you have your Bibles open to Matthew 27, starting in verse 45, it says this, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. So it's saying from noon to 3 p.m., it's pitch black. I mean, what's going on there is as Jesus hangs on this cross, what's going on there? All through scripture, we, we see that darkness is this, this picture of God's wrath and judgment. So what are we seeing as Christ hangs on that cross? He's not just dying, it's punishment. It's divine judgment being poured out on Jesus. And in the midst of that darkness, in the midst of that judgment, look at what he cries out in verse 46. About the ninth hour, so about three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, think about this. Here's Jesus. He, he's been beaten. He's been whipped. 
He's had a crown of thorns mockingly placed on his head and now he's sentenced to death. He's hanging on a cross and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew even puts it in the the Aramaic that Jesus would have called it out. And even though Matthew was writing in in Greek to a Greek audience, he he records the original Aramaic because you could just imagine as an eyewitness saying, man, these words, man, this is what he said. I remember it so clearly. Again, we see in this cry why the cross was so important. Jesus, in in that cry, he was actually quoting from, from Psalm 22 which when you read through the Psalms, it's this, this odd Psalm in the, the, mid, the middle of the Psalms there in Psalm 22. And it's odd because when we read Psalms, this is a Psalm that David wrote. Every time David would write a poem or a song, what we would call Psalms, when he'd write them down, it was usually something going on in his life. And there's something happening. And so he, he, he writes this song to talk about, here's what happened. And here's how I cried out to God. But we read this Psalm, Psalm 22. And it says things like, a pack of evildoers encircles me. They pierce my hands and feet. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and they cast lots for my garment. And, and you start thinking, well, when did that ever happen to David? When did David ever have his hands and his feet pierced? What's he describing here? Listen, what's going on here? Years before the Chaldeans even invented crucifixion as a form of capital punishment, years then before the Romans took that and perfected it, the Holy Spirit through David was pointing to Jesus, prophesying about the crucifixion, talking about what was going to happen to Christ. Listen, this isn't just a death that happened. He wasn't crushed in the wheels of history. God was turning those wheels for our sake. Now, we can focus so much on the the gory details of the crucifixion. But notice what Jesus is saying here. You think of the pain he was in. He doesn't cry out, my my head, my head. He doesn't cry out, my my hands, my, my back. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, he would have obviously been in incredible pain at that moment, but, but that's not what he's crying out about. He, he's not crying out about his friends and closest people around him deserting him. The pain of the crucifixion, the pain of abandonment from his followers wasn't the problem. What Jesus felt most was losing the love and the presence of God the Father. This was God the Father abandoning God the Son. This was, was eternal and horrible punishment of the cross. Listen, listen, when we turn away from God and we say, I want nothing to do with you, God, what are we doing? We're saying, I don't want your presence in my life. When we refuse to acknowledge God, to, to worship him, to, to love him, what happens is God says, you're going to then be removed from my presence. That's what hell is. Hell is an eternity removed from God's presence. And so here we find, we find that, that Jesus on the cross calls out, my God, my God, why? Because we were created for this relationship with God. We're created for presence with him. And when it's removed from us, when we reject God, it's hell. And right here on the cross, Jesus taking the punishment for all of us, for our sin, for our rejection of God, that, that we wouldn't put our trust in him. He's experiencing the pain of that sin that rejection. One preacher I was reading this week said this. He said it was like a million 
and millions of eternal hells being laid on him all at once. This is the amazing truth of Easter, that Jesus took our punishment upon himself, all our lies, every hateful thought, every angry word, every, every selfish motive, there on the cross, Jesus bears the full weight of that darkness. Abandoned so that we never would have to be. Immersed in that darkness so we wouldn't have to be. We, we deserve the result of our sin. That would be justice laid out very clearly. And we couldn't say, well, that's not fair. No, it would be justice that we would pay for that. But here's this payment being lovingly taken that, that God the Father would lovingly give us his son, that Jesus Christ, God the Son, would take on our justice, our sin, our penalty. In fact, Paul, writing a letter to, to an early church in Corinth, he says this in Corinthians, he says, God made him who had no sin, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I mean, it's so amazing. So think about it. Not only did, did Christ take away our sin and our brokenness, he said, I give you my perfect obedience. So we're, we're busted out of the jail of sin. And then and he said, and here's the inheritance of the kingdom. We get the perfect life of Jesus. <clears throat> now you might ask, well, why would Jesus do this? Well, Jesus says so clearly, I, I do it for you. I mean, think about that, that maybe this morning you'd be able to say, he did it for me. Jesus took that darkness for me. And when you grab a hold of, of this reality where, where you see Jesus for who he was, where you embrace Jesus as the treasure of your life, where, where you can then say, he took my darkness for me. He took the, the darkness of my sin. He took the darkness of my failure. He took the darkness of my hurts and pains. He took the darkness of my regrets. In fact, let's see this lived out in someone's life. Go back uh, just a page to Matthew 26. So Jesus had just had a, a celebrated Passover supper with his followers, with his disciples. It was at that time where he was kind of explaining to them, hey guys, we've done this for thousands of years as Jews, but I'm telling you, we're changing it now. That now we used to celebrate the Passover about this lamb that was, that was slain on our behalf, that was our substitute, but he, he stands up and he goes, it's different from now on. I am the lamb. I'm the bread of life. My life for your life. Passover, the supper ends. They're heading out to go pray. <coughs> And it says as they're going out that, that Jesus grabs his disciples and he says this, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him and he said, hey, hey they all will fall away because of you, but I will never fall away. Peter, right? Just so great. He just stands up and goes, no way, not a chance. I'm not going to do this. And Jesus said to him, look what it says. Truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter again speaks up. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And the rest of the disciples said, yeah, us too. Peter said, not me. I'm not doing it. I'll never deny you, Jesus. I'll follow you right to my death. But then look at verse 69. 
of that same chapter. It says, now Peter was sitting outside the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him. So by now Jesus is being tried in court. And Peter watched him from a distance. It says, a servant girl came up to him and said, hey, you also are with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all saying, I, I don't know what you mean. When he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him. And she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. Like an oath, it's like, like saying, I swear on my mother's grave, I do not know Jesus. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them for your accent betrays you. He's got this Galilean fisherman's accent. Verse 74, then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. He's saying a curse, it means I would rather die than that be true. It says immediately the rooster crowed. Verse 75, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Luke's account of this, he adds a little more color to it, a little more detail from what happened. And he says that at that moment when the rooster crowed, when Peter denied Jesus for the third time, it says that Jesus looked over and saw Peter. Their eyes met. Can you imagine the weight of that moment? You meet Christ's eyes as you just betray him, as you do the thing you say you would never do. It goes on here, the end of verse 75, it says, Peter went out and wept bitterly. Heartbroken. Not crying a little bit, but like, like just, just awful, weeping, crying, full of regret. Now I would say this, I would say that just about everyone here in this room would, would have a bit of an idea, a, a, a feeling of what it means to have regrets. Or you have those things where you say, man, I wish I didn't say that. Man, I wish I didn't do that. I, I wish I could, could go back and have a do-over on that one. Like, you ever do that? You, you lay awake at night and you kind of replay your day. I mean, I would have said something different if I had this to do over again. Or maybe it's more than just looking over your day. Maybe you have regret in your life that weighs heavy on you. A regret like, like Peter would be feeling right now. I mean, think, think of all the things we can regret. We can carry the weight of re regret over, over an addiction or an abortion or adultery or, or animosity you have against somebody or, or assault. Or, I'm just going through the A's, man. I, we could go through the whole alphabet, right? There are so many things that we could regret, that we could carry this weight around with us, choices we've made that we wish we could reverse. And, and we, we try to cover it up with good things over the years and hope that, man, maybe that, that time will just heal this wound. And it, it kind of doesn't have the same sting, but it's still there. It's never really fixed. It's never really dealt with. Listen, it's into this darkness that Jesus steps in and says, I'll take that. I'll take that regret. I paid the full price for that. I'll remove that regret, that weight, that guilt, that, that, that shame. I'll remove it as far as the east is from the west. That because of Easter, there's a, a brand new page for all of us. There is total forgiveness because the darkness didn't last forever. It was dark that day he died. And yes, night came and another night came. But listen, on that third day, as night ended, as the daylight began to come, 
A miracle took place just like Jesus had promised, that God spoke those powerful words of resurrection and Jesus, God the Son, was alive again, conquering sin and death and shame and guilt. In fact, flip over to Matthew 28, just one page the other way now, to the end of the book, Matthew 28. We see this resurrection happening. Matthew says this, verse one, he says, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, so Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb and behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Don't you just love the kind of detail Matthew puts in there? Like the angel sat on the stone. I just find that awesome. He's just, like his massive stone that Pilate put over the tomb so no one could steal the body and claim that he rose from the dead and start this movement. It, this angel says, I'll move that. And he just sits on it. Like that was nothing. Here I am, right? It goes on. It says, is it verse three? His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. You have to understand here, these guards, these soldiers, they're like Delta Force, Navy SEALs kind of dudes, right? These are wimpy guards. These would be the best soldiers that Pilate could find because he wants to be sure that this, this uprising does not happen, that this movement can't happen. He's like, man, there's no way anyone's stealing that body to claim that he rose from the dead. So I'm putting my best guys on this. They see this angel and they just faint. They, they, they're unconscious with fear. The Marys are walking up on this. So it's no wonder the angel says this in verse five. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. Are you kidding me? You look like lightning. You just moved a stone and those huge dudes tried to draw their swords but fell down like they were dead in front of you. What do you mean, don't be afraid? It says, fear not. Don't be afraid. I love it that, that every time God's doing something huge, you notice what angels have to say? Don't be afraid. Remember when Jesus first appeared, when, when he first came as a baby, when he first came to earth as a baby, the angels had to appear. What did they have to say right away? Fear not. Don't be afraid. Here again, don't be afraid. Why not fear? Well, look how the verse goes on. Do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Listen, I know Jesus died. You're looking for him. Verse six, he is not here for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. He's risen. Darkness isn't in charge. Death did not win. Our sin and regret does not have the final say. That he's risen, that the, the angels roll the stone away. And I love it. They don't roll the stone away for Jesus to get out. It's not like he's trapped in there. Jesus rose from the dead. He got out on his own just fine. Why do they roll the stone away? They roll it away so that, that we can see into the tomb. So that they can say to these, these Marys, hey, hey, come look in. Come see what God has done. I mean, this morning, that's the invitation for all of us here. Come see what God has done. That God's saying to the skeptic, come in, come see, come check this out. That God's saying to the broken and the hurting, come, come see, come look into this. That God's saying to the lost and abandoned, come see what God has done. Come see what I've done. Jesus is risen. If you think about it, the resurrection is, is the single most investigated event in all of human history. God says, come and look. And for so many who have come and tried to unravel the story of the resurrection, so many of those who looked to disprove it ended up putting their faith in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is risen. And it changes everything. 
And the angel says, come and see. Come and see what's already been done. I, I love it that the angel doesn't say, hey, hey, Marys, go get some help and see if you can move this rock. No, no, it's already been done. We did it for you. Come look into the tomb. It's empty. He's already risen from the grave. It's grace. It's all grace. God did it all. It's not like, hey, you need to do these things. You better take care of this. No, he says, no, just come and see what Christ has done. Jesus defeated the darkness, brought you into the light of his grace. I love the angel says, come see, not come do. It's done. No amount of struggling, no amount of striving, no amount of religion can take care of our sin and our regrets and our shame and our brokenness and our desire for hope. It's all grace. It's God doing this work for us. Look down what he says, what Jesus says in verse 10 of chapter 28. Jesus says to, to these women, he says, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Remember what he said before, guys, I'm gonna die, but I'm gonna rise again. I'll meet you in Galilee. Now he says, hey, remind them, go, go tell my brothers. I love that. He says, go tell my brothers. So these are the people, Peter being one of them, who deserted him in his hour of greatest need. They couldn't even stay awake when he was praying in the garden. They all take off and he calls them what? Go tell my brothers. It's grace. It's all grace. Listen, regrets are, are unavoidable. Peter had this massive regret on him, but there was hope that Jesus defeated the darkness and, and brought us into the light of his grace, into new life. So, so the question that I would ask is, okay, I get that though. What do I do with this then? How do I live in this new life? What do I do with sin and shame and regret and this need for hope and new life? Well, the angel said, come and see. Come and see where the body used to be. Now, archaeologists will tell us that, that a, a traditional tomb, a way a tomb would go, that they'd put a rock in front of the, the door. It would be really low, and you would have to go under into the door and up into the tomb. So you think about that. that to come and see, to look into the empty tomb, it means I've got to get low. I, I, I got to get down low. I, I've got I've to humble myself. I, I've got I've to let go of my opinions. I, I, I've got to let go of, of, of my, my hurt and my pain. I've I got to drop those things that I cling to thinking they're going to bring me hope as I get low. To humble myself. Get past my doubts and my fears, my control. We do catch up with Peter again filled with huge regret, so much regret that Peter actually said, I'm done, I'm going back to fishing. We read about it in John's account where he talks about Peter gets back in the boat, he starts fishing again, and, and while he's in the boat, he sees Jesus in Galilee on the shore. Peter sees, what did he do? It says that as soon as he recognized it was Jesus, he threw himself into the water. It wasn't a, a pretty dive. He didn't kind of go over the edge of the boat nicely. He just threw himself, reckless abandonment into the, I've got to get to the shore. I have to see Jesus. He gets to where Christ is, leaves behind his fishing nets, leaves behind everything else, leaves behind his friends. He didn't care what they thought. He jumped in, his, his whole pride left behind and he goes and sees Jesus. He wanted to be with Jesus. Here's the great thing. The stone was removed. 
There wasn't a barrier between him and Christ. He had free access to God. No religion in the way, no shame in the way, no guilt in the way, no barrier. All of that dealt with on the cross. So Peter's regret and shame completely dealt with and he responds to the call, come and be with Jesus. And his life is changed forever. I mean, Peter now has a, a brand new identity, no longer defined by his regrets not left weeping. And now, now Peter, we read about him in the early church, history of the early church. He becomes this passionate, courageous leader of the early church, raised to a new life in Christ. That's a choice we all have this morning. Really the same choice Peter had. Because we, we understand as we read the accounts of the, of the gospels that Peter wasn't the only one to betray Jesus. And this other guy, his life did not end up the same way as Peter ended up. Peter humbled himself. Peter saw Jesus. We now celebrate Peter's life. I mean, people, I mean, there may be, be, be people here, you've named your kid Peter, or maybe you're named Peter. I'm gonna bet this other guy does not, uh, there's nobody here with his name. Judas is not a real popular kid's name, all right? It's like you're kind of choosing, you're like, well, we got a son coming. It's either Hitler or Judas. What do we call them? It's kind of like, oh, I don't know, right? No, we don't. Why? Why? Judas had a different end to his life. He betrayed Jesus just like Peter did. He wept bitterly, it says, just like Peter did, but he didn't seek Jesus. Judas, he ended up swallowed in the darkness of shame and sin and regret and his own pride that he wouldn't go seek Jesus. Peter had his regrets. Judas had his regrets. Listen, you don't need to be ruined by regrets. Peter pursued Jesus. Peter rested his whole life on the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The truth that Christ took care of all of that on the cross that Jesus became the victim, that Jesus became the one beaten and bruised, that he died, that, that Jesus was cursed so that we didn't have to be cursed, that, that, that Jesus was then raised in victory so that by the grace of God, the grace of God, Jesus shows scars, because these are the scars that are now your victory. And he met Peter on that shore as Peter swam up onto the shore. And you, when you read about it, Jesus doesn't get after him, doesn't say, hey, hey, you're gonna need to do these four things if you're gonna wanna actually start to pursue after me any longer. No, what does Jesus say? He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, I love you. And he invites Peter into the rescue mission again. Well, then Peter, let's get to work. Rescued from darkness, into the light of God's grace and already saying, hey, why don't you go share this new life with others? When you put your faith, your hope, your trust in Jesus Christ, you move from a story of being a victim, you move from a story of pain and hurt and failure to a story of victory. And it's for sure, every one of us in this room has a past. This 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 thing that we could think about in our past. But listen, there was a moment in time when everything about you changed. When there sitting on the rock was an angel that was saying to you, he's risen, come and see. He's risen. I, I love that word risen in the, in the original Greek. It means to be raised up. It means to be made new. But a, another, it has a connotation of, of, of coming to one's senses. 
I kind of get the picture of this. It's like if you've ever been knocked out cold and when you're coming out of that, that's kind of the, the picture here, right? Where, where you know, you've been knocked out, right? And I've been knocked out and you kind of have that, you're sort of, and you're, you, you don't really remember a whole lot. You remember, man, the last thing I remember is saying, here, hold my beer. This is gonna be awesome, right? right? Not me, that's somebody else I heard about, right? And, <laughs> and you're coming to, right? And, and when you start hearing people say your name, right, Kai, Kai, you're like, whoa. And you, you start to come fully awake. Then I, I can imagine Jesus, thrown into the depths of separation from God, into the taunts of the darkness of, of sin, into the, the grip of defeat and death, but then to hear this voice call out. For Jesus to, to recognize the voice of the Father saying, my son, come alive. That Jesus would hear that, that, that voice that he's known since the beginning of eternity that voice he's never been separated from before, but had been separated because of our sin. And he hears, my son, son of God, come alive. Listen, in this moment of resurrection for you, that moment where you see Jesus, where you, you say, I want to pursue Christ. Listen, hear him say to you, come alive. In that moment, you rise again and you see clearly for the first time whose you are and who you are. That, that you're a, a loved child of God, not abandoned. You're freed, not condemned. You're no longer defined by your regrets. They've been canceled out by Jesus' obedience on the cross on your behalf. And I, I get it. You might be here this morning saying, hey, you don't know me, Pastor. I don't know if I can believe that, that because I, I, I mean, I've been so forsaken, I've been so aban abandoned, I, I come here this morning as a wounded man or a, a broken woman and Jesus says to you this morning, listen, I know everything you've been through and I'm greater than all of that. And I have the power to bring broken hearts to life. Where Jesus says to you, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And he's inviting you to, to come out of the grave, come out of the grave of regret, come out of the tomb of shame and pain, come out of the darkness of sin and rise again. Because here's the thing, the, the message of grace, this message of the resurrection is not that everybody here at Harvest is doing good. It's not even that everybody here at Harvest is completely messed up. Here's the message, the message of, of the gospel of grace, the message of Easter is this, Jesus is risen. He is alive. It's a reality. And he's saying, come and see what God has done. In fact, at the end of Matthew 28, we read how it all wraps up. Verse 18, Jesus has everybody around him now. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Listen, as we wrap up here this morning, as the worst team comes up, I want you to hear what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I am victorious. He's saying, all authority has been given to me. He says, I, I have your victory. Step, step out of the darkness into the light. 
Because the stone is rolled away. You can step out now. You can be restored. You can be renewed. And he said, I love how he says, and I'm with you always to the end of the age. That, that word there, you, it's, it looks like singular, like, oh, he's with me personally. Now, the word is actually in the Greek, it's a plural you. We don't kind of have that way of talking unless you're like Pastor Lee and you're from Texas. Man, they got y'all, right? He's always telling me that the Texas way of speaking is a higher form of communication than us lowly Canadians have, right? Well, here they got it nailed because Jesus basically is saying this, I'm with y'all. He's saying, when you step out of your tomb, out of the darkness, you're not stepping out just to be all on your own. He's calling us into this. He's saying, step out into the life of forgiveness and following Christ and step into this. Step into a community, into a place with new brothers, new sisters. He goes, I'm with you all. So if you're here this morning and maybe you're here and you're like, no, like I get this, man. I've seen Jesus. I've stooped down. I've humbled myself. I've pursued after him. I've said, I want nothing but Jesus. He's my treasure. He's saying, okay, then live like it. Stop grabbing a hold of the dead thing. Stop, stop holding on to the regret. You've been set free. You are alive. You've been brought from the darkness. And here's what he says here. He says, now go and, and tell others of this new life. He goes, this should change you where you go out and tell others, listen, I'm alive. I was dead, but I'm not anymore. And maybe this morning you're here and you're like, you know, I, I've never pursued Jesus. My prayer is this, that even right now where you're sitting, that, it, that even now in your heart, that you'd be able to say, Jesus, I'm, I'm broken in sin and regret. And I need you. I want to come alive. And whatever it is you're facing today, that Jesus is the light that shines into that darkness. That Jesus is the beginning and the end. That Jesus died but has risen again. And he's saying, come see. He's saying, step out of the tomb. The rock's been rolled away. There is nothing in between now. You can come out of the grave, out of the tomb. And he says this, when you do that, not only will you be able to say, Jesus is risen today, you'll be able to say, I've risen too. Do you stand with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, by your power, by your spirit, even here and now, that in the name of Jesus Christ, that many who are here that are living in darkness, that today would be the day that they experience resurrection. To come out of sin and shame, to come into the light of your grace, to know for the first time this morning whose they are and who they are, that they they are a, a child of the King. Father, that in this room there would be some who would say, I've fallen, but I've risen again. Christ has raised me up. That I've been crushed and broken, but but Christ has made me new. That That I may have been lost and without hope, but I've been found and I've been completely transformed. Because of that, I'll walk as a man and a woman filled with the power of God 
reaching my world with this good news. My prayer is this, that the, the weight of darkness, whatever that darkness might be for you this morning, that it would be lifted this morning. That you would see the stone has been rolled away. That there's new life. That praise God, Jesus is risen.